Hello, everybody. How are you all? Welcome back to What's True for Everybody. Uh, this is Summer Camp Part 2, and it is called Who God Is. Uh, we're on what? Experience 21 here on What's True for Everybody. And we'll start with this. Uh, earlier this year, I was at an event where the the keynote speaker of this event was a guy in his late 20s named Ben. Ben has some friends. So you have Ben, you have Johnny, you have Dave, and you have Duncan. Now, when these four fellas, uh, it was a year after they graduated high school, about a year, and they were sitting in a garage in a small town in Canada, and they didn't want to live what they called the, the ordinary life, the life that everyone else was living. They wanted something different. And so they came up with this question and, and they sat there and they talked about it. And the question was this, what do we want to do before we die? <laughs> you ever ask yourself that question? Some know it as the bucket list. What do you want to do before you die? And so they came up with a list of 100 things that they wanted to do or accomplish before they died. Uh, and so then they actually started to do it. And they rented uh, an RV. They bought a camera on eBay. They threw a party for themselves to get gas money donated for this adventure. And then they set off to accomplish <clears throat> these hundred things. That was about 10 years ago. Uh, they have now, or at least when I heard, him, heard uh, Ben speak, they had done 91 of the 100 things. Great story. Uh, now, some of these things that they wanted to do before they died, some of them uh, were simple. Like one was wanted to ride a bull. <laughs> Did it. Cross it off the list. They wanted to lead a parade. Did it. They wanted to catch something and eat it. Did it. They went fishing. They caught the fish they ate. Some of the things they wanted to do before they died uh, were not as simple. They wanted to kiss the Stanley Cup. Uh, Did it. The trophy you win for winning the... Uh, National Hockey League, the Stanley Cup, did it. They kissed it. They wanted to sing the national anthem to a packed stadium, did it. They somehow got to sing the national anthem at a Phoenix Suns <laughs> basketball game. Uh, you can see pictures of all this, by the way. They're great. They wanted to escape a deserted island, <laughs> did it. Crossed it off the list. I don't know what island it was. I don't know how they got on the island. I don't know how they got off the island, uh, but they did it. Some of the things that they wanted to do before they died were just beyond their wildest dreams. Uh, like ask out the girl of their dreams. Did it. I believe it was Duncan who at one point got to ask out Taylor Swift. I think it was at no, an award show. Uh, I don't know what she said. They wanted to take children with cancer on a shopping spree. Did it. They got a, several kids with cancer. I don't know how many, a bunch. They took them to a toy store and they said, pick out whatever you want. Because, by the way, part of the dream for this was not just to do what they wanted to do before they die, but it was to, A, inspire others to do the things that they wanted to do um, and to help people. And so they have actually done this. By the way, this dream was when, uh, like a year out of high school. High school students are awesome. Uh, take kids with cancer on a shopping spree. Did it. They wanted to play basketball with Obama at the White House. This was during Barack Obama's presidency. They did it. And by the way, they say this is the hardest thing to get done was to 
play basketball with Barack Obama, and they did it. Some of the things that they wanted to do were just strange, like be a knight for a day. <laughs> did it. I think it was Ben who dressed up as a knight, and then this he said this kid, I don't know, five years old, four years old, came up to him and just like knelt before Ben when he was dressed up as a knight because he was dressed up as a knight. And so Ben just knighted him <laughs> with his sword, and he said all morning he was just knighting kids who came up to him. Anyway, did it. Uh, they wanted to help deliver a baby. Did it. I don't know who had the baby. <laughs> I don't know how they got in the delivery room, but they did it. Uh, strange. Some <laughs> One of the things they want to do is streak at a sporting event. Did it. I think it was Duncan streaked at <laughs> the field, uh, tried to run away from security officers. I think eventually he got caught. So some of these things were just strange. Some of these things were just only possible because they set out to do these things before they died. Uh, like get interviewed by Oprah. Did it. They're on Oprah's show. They got interviewed by Oprah. One of the things was to write a best-selling book. Did it. They have a book called What Do You Want to Do Before You Die? Uh, And then one of the things was to make a TV show. Did it. They created a TV show. I think it was called The Buried Life, and it was on MTV for a while. Now, so far, 91 of the 100 things. The question is, where did it all start? All these things they, they dreamt up, all these things they got to do, this life they've, they've led, what does it all flow from? Well, for them, it all flows from the question, what do we want to do before we die? Where does it all flow from? What, what is like the water that everything else is swimming in? So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about a passage uh, from 1 John chapter 4 in the New Testament, written creatively by a guy named John, one of Jesus' disciples, same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. Then I want to talk about what everything God does flows from, or where is it that everything God does flows from? And then from that answer, I want to talk about what our job is, what our role role is, which is maybe one of the most important things I can tell you about God and our relationship with God. And then we'll close by talking about an old couple dancing. So here we go. Uh, John is writing to a community of Jesus followers, a community of, of Christians, and he's telling them some of the basic truths of the Christian faith. He talks about in this letter uh, about light, about life, and about love. And by the way, If those were the things we spent our time and energy talking about, what if all we talked about was light and life and love? How much better would our lives be? How much better would this world be? Um, And then, so he's talking about these things. And then he says this about love in chapter four of 1 John. He says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? God is love, he says. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Do you think John takes love seriously? (laughs) I haven't counted how many times he writes the word love in this passage, but it's a bunch. Do you think John wants to get across to these Jesus followers how important love is? Now, four four things that we get that John says about love here, and there's more, but we'll we'll stick to four. Uh, Number one, John says, love comes from God. Uh, That's where it starts. God is the originator, originator of love. God is the... Uh, giver of love. God is the creator of love. Love comes from God. Number two, love is seen in action. So we're told God loves us. And then the question is, well, how do we know God loves us? And as John says, uh, God sent his son, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There was an action involved. Love isn't just a feeling. It isn't a noun. It's actually a verb. Uh, And what does it mean for us that love is seen in action? Number three, We live to love God and love others. We live to love God and love others. We love God because he first loved us. John makes this clear. Uh, So we, we love God because he first loved us. And then we love others because when we're filled with God's love, we can't help but have that overflow. And we love others from that love God has given us. If we don't love others, that's an indicator that we haven't really received the love for God from God, John says. So we live to love God and love others. And then four, God is love. I think it's in verse eight of chapter four, God says, or John says, blah, 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 because God is love. And then eight verses later, verse 16, uh, by the way, in case you missed it, I'll make it its own sentence. God is love. (laughs) So anytime we, we talked about in the previous experience, experience 20, who God isn't. Now we're talking about who God is. And anytime you talk about who God is, you have to start with love. That's the water everything else is swimming in. So, so, which means this, everything God does flows from his love. Everything God does flows from his love. Just like with Ben and Dave and Duncan and Johnny, uh, everything they did on this adventure flowed from the question, what do we want to do before we die? That was the starting point. Everything God does flows from his love. Love for God is the starting point because God is love. So for instance, in the gospels, there is one point where Jesus 
is wa- walking through Jericho. He's going up to Jerusalem, I think. And um, two blind fellows are sitting on the side of the road and they cry out, God, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd who's following Jesus, they, they look at these two guys and they're like, hey, hey, knock it off, quiet, zip it. Like Jesus doesn't have time for you. He's, he's not <clears throat> worried about you. Uh, leave him alone. So they shout louder, God, God, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stops and he has the crowd call these two guys over to him. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And uh, we're told he has compassion on them. And they say, we want our sight. And so he heals them, gives them their sight. Um, by the way, then they follow him. This compassion, this healing, it flows from his love. At one point, Jesus meets a woman at a well and this woman has, has made some unhelpful choices for herself when it comes to men and other people don't want anything to do with her. Some people want her stoned. Jesus uh, actually seeks her out and meets her at the time of day where people would go to the well when no one else, would, when they don't want to be seen by others. And <clears throat> he has this conversation with her and he forgives her and he teaches her a better path, a more healthy, holy path that she can go on. This teaching, this forgiving flows from his love. There's another story where this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's like, well, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And turns out this dude has been keeping uh, all the commands since he was young, perhaps somewhat legalistically, but Jesus points out the one thing, the one commandment that this guy, he can't let go of, he can't follow. And it has to do with possessions. It has to do with jealousy of what others have. It has to do with hoarding uh, and, and just white knuckling his stuff. And Jesus says, do this and you'll receive eternal life. And the guy walks away sad because he can't let go of his stuff. Um, even when it doesn't happen often in the scriptures, in the gospels, even when Jesus lets someone walk away unchanged, it flows from his love. Because remember, Jesus is, God is not a control freak. He loves us so much that he actually lets us choose which direction we want to walk. Which means this, when God is faithful to you, it's flowing from his love. When God gives you wisdom, it flows from his love. When God answers your prayers, even if it's not the way you would want him to answer them, it flows from his love. If God, when God is good to you, when God is generous to you, it's flowing from his love. When God disciplines you, it, it flows from his love. Remember, discipline has never, the point of discipline was never just punishment. It was correction. It was teaching. It was getting us on a different, better path, which flows from his love. When God forgives you, it flows from his love. When God is patient with you, who needs patience from God? Uh, probably all of us. It flows from his love. When God is kind to you, when God is gentle, it is all flowing from his love. Why? Because God is love. Have you ever uh, made a difficult decision or you're in a difficult situation, something you wouldn't choose for yourself in the midst of all that, you had this peace that you just couldn't explain. How, how do I feel peace during this? Yeah, that's, that's flowing from God's love. Have you ever had done something? You're like, yeah, probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, and you get this, we'll call it conviction. The spirit just speaks to you like, yeah, maybe next time let's, let's choose something else. That conviction flows from God's love. When, uh, have you ever prayed for something and you got it like, like that? Like, oh, wow. I just prayed for this like five minutes ago. Oh, that's a gift. That's a gift. It flows 
from God's love. Have you ever been in a transition? Uh, Maybe it was a good transition. Maybe it wasn't, but either way, it was change and change always means some sort of loss. And it was hard and there were tears and, uh, but you were able to do it. You're able to step forward. You're able to move on and you were able to do it well. That, that's a gift that's flowing from God's love. Everything God does flows from his love. So, okay, we got that down now, uh, which means this, here's our job when it comes to God and his love. Here's our role. And this may be one of the most important things we can say about God and his, his love and our relationship with it. It's this, our job isn't to earn God's love. Our job is to enjoy God's love. Our job isn't to earn God's love. Our job is to enjoy God's love. God is love. We've said this. Uh, Which means God loves you before you ever did a thing. We'll get into that later in this summer camp series. Um, And it means there's nothing you could do to earn it. All we can do is enjoy it. Question here, have you ever tried to earn God's love? (laughs) If you have, you know that it's exhausting. (laughs) It's exhausting uh, mainly because it's not possible. You can't do it. You can't do it. You're like the animal with the, the carrot dangling in front of them. You're always trying to get it. You, you can't, you're doing all these things with the wrong motives, with, which actually makes us more miserable. It's possible, by the way, to spend your life doing all these great things, um, things that, that are, we should be doing that are great to do, but we're doing it to earn God's love instead of simply enjoying God's love, and we end up miserable because there's this expectation of, wait a minute, we should be, we should be getting something back here. It's like, um, it's almost like sometimes we treat following Jesus as a job because sometimes in our job, it's like, oh, I do this because I have to pay the rent. I have to <laughs> pay the light bill. Uh, and so I'm doing this to get something back that so, so following Jesus sometimes it's just counterintuitive, but that will leave us absolutely miserable. Speaking of last experience, we talk about some misconceptions of God, like, God, I'm doing this for you. Why am I not getting anything back? That's not how it works (laughs) to try to earn God's love. It's simply not possible. And you'll end up just discouraged. And we said it last time, disappointed and unfulfilled. Your job, a job isn't to earn God's love. It is simply to enjoy God's love. Because here's the truth. God's love is already yours. It's already yours. You can't earn it because it's already yours. In the last experience, I talked about how we talked about hall monitor God and how we don't think God is like that. We think God is more like the father who, when their child leaves, waits with open arms and runs and hugs them. Um, That's actually a story in the gospel. That's actually a story of Jesus. And what I was referring to was we often call it the prodigal son found in the gospel of Luke. So the story goes like this. This man has two sons and the younger son comes to this the dad and says, dad, I want your share of the inheritance. Like right now. Now, what would happen was when the father died, the inheritance would get split between the sons. 
So when the younger son comes to his dad and says, dad, I want my share or the inheritance now, it's a first century way of saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Um, and the surprising part of the story is the dad says, okay, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll, I'll give you my, your share of the inheritance. The audience would have been like, what, where is this story going? So the son gets his share in the, of the, the younger son gets his share of the inheritance and he, he bails, he leaves home. He goes off to a distant land and we're told he squanders this inheritance in wild living, whatever that means. And he loses it all. By the way, do you know what it's like to lose it all? <laughs> and you're like, what? Did, whether you did it or whether something happened to you, what do I do now? And so he loses it all. He's like feeding pigs, which if you're a Jew in the first century, uh, pigs were like, that's the lowest you could get. Pigs were unclean. Pigs were nasty. And you're feeding pigs. You couldn't get any lower. And so he decides, um, I have no choice. Well, I do have a choice. I could stay here and, and feed pigs or um, I could go back and be like a servant for my dad because I'm not going to be in the same standing I was before. I blew that a long time ago when I took his inheritance and left, but at least I can go be his servant and be in a better position than feeding these pigs. So he starts the journey home and he practices this uh, forgiveness, sorry, apology speech, like father, forgive me. Um, and he, it's genuine. He means it and he practices, he like memorizes this thing. And when he gets home, his dad sees him. He's like, he's waiting for him to come up the driveway and the dad bolts out the front door and he goes and he just flings his arms around his son. He's so happy his son's home. And the son just tries to get out this apology. But before he can, the dad's like calling for robes and rings and sandals. And he's like, we're throwing a massive party. We're not going to get like the skinny chicken. We're getting the fattened calf for tonight. And uh, what the son realizes is, oh, I'm already forgiven. And so there's this party and the older son figures out what's going on. He's like, oh, my brother's home. And my dad's happy about it. And he's throwing him this huge party and he gets a bit ticked off, a little jealous. And so he goes to his dad and he's like, dad, what is the, what the heck? What's the deal? Like this son of yours, he can't even call him his brother. This son of yours goes off and squanders like your wealth and he comes home and, and this is how you treat him. This is like the opposite of how you should treat him. No, no, he should be like grounded. And his dad has this interesting response to his older, the, the older son. He says, son. Oh, and, they, and by the way, the older son's like, I've been with you this whole time obeying you and I've never gotten anything like this. So it's a comparison game. And his dad says, son, you've always been with me and everything I have is already yours. Those are the words in the scriptures. Everything I have is already yours. He said, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And in brilliant Jesus fashion, the story ends. And what we don't know is if the older brother enters the party or not. And so the story ends with this lingering question. Does this older son enter the party? Does he actually believe that his father's love is already his? And if it's already his, then it also has to already be others. Namely, in this story, his brothers. Or is he going to stay outside and pout and compare and get all judgy on what his brother has done and how his dad is now treating him and forgiving him, which then brings the question to us. So we actually get put in the shoes of the older brother. Some, I mean, it's great to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of the prodigal son because we need that sometimes. It's also meant to put us in the shoes of the older. Do we enter the party? Do we believe that God's love is already 
ours. We can't earn it. Our job isn't to judge how others also receive this love because it's already our, if it's already ours, it's already theirs. The only thing we can do is enter the party and enjoy it. So what does this mean? Uh, our job isn't to earn God's love. Our job is to enjoy God's love. Then the question is, how do we enjoy God's love? How can we enjoy God's love? Five quick things here. How can we enjoy God's love? Number one, live as a response. Live as a response. Uh, here's what I mean. You can't earn God's love. Uh, have you ever tried to just live not as a response, but as like a proactive to get something. That's not how it works. No, no. God's love is already yours. Our job is the decisions we make, the choices we make, the ways we live, the ways we love, the ways we serve is a response because of what we've already been given, because of who God already is, because of what Jesus has already done. And we're so filled with this love of God that we can't help but live as a worshipful, grateful, passionate response to that. So you don't mow your neighbor's lawn without them asking you uh, because you want something from your neighbor. You do it because you've received this love from God that you just can't help but do stuff like that every once in a while. You live as a response. Number two, be yourself. Be yourself. How do you enjoy God's love? You be yourself and enjoy who God created you to be. Have you ever tried to be somebody? Have you ever tried to be somebody else? Uh, the problem with that is we already have one of them. <laughs> we don't need another one. If they're living at their best, then they're the best version of them that we're going to get. Uh, what we need, what God created you for, was to be you. What we, what this world needs, is the best version of you, not a different version, a worse version of somebody else. Because you're you're automatically going to be a worse version of them. But you're the you'll be the best version of you that we're ever going to see in this world. And so how do we enjoy God's love? We come to terms with who we are. We come to terms with how God created us. We come to terms with our gifts and, and we don't apologize for those. We, we lean into those and we use them for the glory of God. We, we come to terms with our limitations and we don't apologize for those. It's like, I'm not, this isn't who I am. I can't do that. <laughs> That's okay. I can do this. Uh, live as a response. Be yourself. Number three, how do we enjoy God's love? Work hard, play hard. We were created to work. We were created to use the gifts we were given, the passions we were given to move creation forward. We were created to, to uh, work hard at home or in school or at our job or in our relationships. I mean, we were, we were created to sweat a little bit, to, to, to play in the dirt a little bit. Uh, that's part of who we are. Have you ever not worked for a while? I mean, it's not a very good feeling after, I mean, a week or so, great. Then it's like, or if you're on a sabbatical, a few months, great. But then it's like, what am I doing? I got to be, I got to be using what I have here. Uh, whether it's at a job, whether it's with your family, whatever it is, there's all sorts of ways to work. Work. And then we were created to play. We were created to rest, to enjoy, to take a Sabbath, to uh, notice the sunset, to enjoy the friend or the movie. To, we were created to go on vacation, sit on a beach every once in a while, climb in the mountains, every, whatever it is for you. Uh, how do we enjoy God's love? You work hard and you play hard. Uh, 
Are you doing all of one and none of the other? Are you working all the time and never playing? Are you playing all the time and never working? So live as a response. Are you trying to earn God's love? Be yourself. Are you trying to be somebody else or are you actually being who God created you to be? Work hard, play hard. Are you doing all of one and none of the other? Or are you, is there a good balance? Number four, forgive yourself. (laughs) Oh, this is a big one. How do we enjoy God's love? Forgive yourself because here's the thing. God has already forgiven you. Jesus has already forgiven you through the life, death, resurrection. Uh, And sometimes I've, I've run into people who, like they can accept that. They don't have a problem believing that and accepting that. Their problem is they can't forgive themselves. They did this thing. They made that decision. They treated this person like that. And the thing they can't get past is forgiving themselves. They can't forgive who they were. They can't forgive that old version of themselves, which means they can't really move forward. Uh, It is huge. If you can't forgive yourself, how in the world can you receive somebody else's forgiveness? Or maybe a better way to say it is uh, the forgiveness God has already given you could give you the power to forgive yourself. Do you need to forgive yourself for something? And you got you to move on. Apologize or you need to apologize uh, and forgive yourself. You don't have to be that person anymore. Number five, how do we enjoy God's love? Pass on the love. And this is what John talks about in this passage that we read in 1 John chapter 4. If, if we aren't doing things to love others, have we really received and accepted God's love for us? Because if we have, then we can't help. We can't help but have it overflow and move on to others. John, John says, like, if you don't, if you say you love God and you don't love, like, your neighbor or your brother or your sister, that's, that's just a lie. <laughs> yeah, pass on the love. With no scorecards, no agendas, just I'm doing this because God has first loved me and so I am called to love others. And that was what my heart is for because that's the bend of my heart when I'm a Jesus follower. How do we enjoy God's love? Live as a response. Be yourself. Work hard, play hard. Forgive yourself. Pass on the love. Are you hoarding God's love? Are you keeping it to yourself? It's time to pass it on to whoever you can pass it on to. I was in a a retirement home, an independent living facility a few months ago. Part of my job as a hospice chaplain is to go where old people live. (laughs) That's what I do. And on this particular day, in the lobby of this place, there was a guy playing the gu- a guitar and singing, and there was uh, the residents of this facility just sitting kind of in a circle watching some singing along. And at one point, this guy asked folks to get up and dance. And immediately, this married couple in their 80s, I would guess, got up and started dancing together. And for a while, um, the, the people, other ones just sat there and watched them. And by the way, have you ever seen old people dance? <laughs> it's, it's one of the best things ever. And this couple, um, I'm looking from, from kind of the side of them. And so I see like one of their sh- shoulders, one of each of their shoulders. And they have their, on this side of them, they have their arms around each other. And it's clear the other side, they're, they're holding hands. Um, but I didn't notice totally what was going on. All I saw at this moment was, these two folks were dancing and they were just enjoying the moment. They were enjoying one another. They didn't care what anybody else thought, what they were thinking when they looked at them. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool. But then they turned and then I noticed something deeper going on. Um, Not only were they holding hands, 
but this woman has breathing issues and she constantly has to carry around her oxygen tank. And her oxygen tank is in one of those kind of mini rolling suitcases looking things. And so they were holding hands, but both of their hands were over the handle of this rolling suitcase holding this woman's oxygen. And this husband was just helping her roll her oxygen around while they were dancing. And that was another deeper kind of picture. Not only were they enjoying the moment, but the deeper thing going on was this love that was clear this guy had for his wife and she had for him. And you look at that and there's something about that that says, oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) That's the way it's supposed to be. That is somehow for us an intuitive like picture of, oh, this is some, uh, this is somehow a picture of how our relationship with God is to be. And even our relationship with others. There was this, on one level, this enjoyment, but on another level, there was this obvious love and God is love. It's a Christian author named Darren Hufford who wrote a book called God's Honest Truth. And he said this, he said, love cannot be moved from one emotion to another. It cannot be content and happy in one moment and be hurled into anger, depression, offense, or lust the next. Love is stable and real and it cannot be controlled. So we'll end with this question. Uh, last time we talked about what is it, what are misconceptions about God, like who God is not that you just need to get rid of. Um, the question here is, what is it about who God is that you need to receive and you need to just keep believing in or start believing in with the realization that this is all flowing from his love? Do you need to uh, receive that God is faithful to you? Have you been under the impression lately that God isn't faithful because this happened? Or you wanted this and, it, and you didn't get it. Uh, that God gives wisdom. Do you need to receive, not only God's, that God gives wisdom, but do you need to ask for his wisdom? That God answers prayers. You've had a prayer recently that didn't get answered as quickly as you wanted. It didn't get answered the way you wanted. Um, but do you need to just believe that whatever is happening, it's flowing from God's love? Do you need to believe that God is good? That God is good. You lost the job. The you broke up with this person. You don't know how you're going to, you could pay this bill next month. Do you need to just receive right now? Okay. God is good. God is good. He's going to take care of me. God is generous. Do you need to believe that God is generous, that God uh, disciplines. And when he disciplines, it flows from his love. It's to correct. It's to put you on the right path. It flows from love that God forgives. Maybe you've forgiven yourself, but you can't re- somehow believe or receive the forgiveness that God has already granted you or offers you or is extending to you, that God is patient. How many of you need to thank God for his patience right now? That God is kind. You saw this thing and you're like, what in the world? I saw a news story today about um, a seven-year-old baseball game in Colorado where parents got into a brawl on the field. It was like a 13-year-old umpire and parents got mad at something and they just started beating the heck out of each other. Uh, on the field. And in moments like that, we need to be, okay, that's not a picture of God. God is actually the opposite of that. God is, God is kind. You need to believe God is gentle and it's all flowing from his love. Well, my friends, everything God does flows from his love because God is love. Your job is not to earn God's love. Your job is to enjoy God's love. So may you go and do that. Grace and peace to you all.